Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. Lee Craigie competed internationally in cross-country mountain biking and represented Great Britain at World Championships and Scotland at the 2014 Commonwealth Games. In 2016, she became the UK 24-hour mountain biking champion. After retiring from full-time racing, she went on to set records on several self-supported bikepacking races at home and abroad. In 2009, Lee had founded Cycle Therapy, a Scottish government-supported project that used mountain biking to engage marginalised young people in the Scottish Highlands. In 2016, she launched the Adventure Syndicate to offer an alternative female sporting role model. She has also worked as Scotland's Active Nation Commissioner, working independently of government to ensure the provision of fair, accessible spaces where everyone in Scotland can benefit from being active. Her new book, Other Ways to Win, is out now with Vertebrate Publishing and is a memoir that reflects on success and the highs and lows in cycling and her life. In it, she says, endurance for me doesn't mean gritting my teeth and shoving my feelings away so I can keep going. It means feeling resistance to pain and discomfort and allowing it to flow through me. By being in a situation where I have no choice but to make friends with it, I gain perspective, strength and gratitude. It's why ever since I was very little, I felt this insistent tug outside and towards the unknown. Welcome to the podcast, Lee. Thanks, Jen. What a lovely introduction. So pleased to be here speaking to you today. Oh, well, I've already got my fangirling out the way before. So I've followed you for ages and I'm so happy to talk to you. Oh, same. All mutual. Congratulations on the book, which is amazing. And really, for me, talks at about resilience and success and failure and all those messy things that is really what this podcast is about. Mm, yeah, I think um, in writing the book, I, I learned a whole other side to the, uh, this idea of resilience. You know, as a as an elite sporting person, you think that you've you've figured out all the dark spaces when it comes to resilience. But writing a book, oh my goodness, that was a whole a whole other chapter on the subject. Yes, I was just saying there was these years where I'd heard about you writing a book and then years of not hearing anything about it and then it suddenly popped up. So it <laughs> felt like there was a lot a lot of time and sweat and tears that just went into this book. Yeah, it was a real process. I think and once I let go of the kind of goal-orientated drive that I think so many of us have and just relaxed into the process a little bit and and vertebrate were really kind and you know took off any of that time pressure um I, I sort of settled into the journey of it a bit and it became a really a welcome process a, a, real, a real welcome um different way to be just to sort of sit at a computer and alone with my thoughts and um, have that sort of structured time with just with just my brain and my memories so it was a really valuable experience not when I'm planning on repeating immediately <laughs> but I did that <laughs> kind of seems to follow a bit of the process that you went through in the book in terms of your cycling racing as well this outcome focused driven mm. elite athlete to then 
it changed didn't it or it felt like it changed mm-hmm. reading the book in that it was a lot more about enjoying the processes and less so about the outcome yeah absolutely I hadn't thought of it in those terms but but you're right that is exactly the process that I went through when my whole life was about competing and everything that I said or ate or drank or planned in my diary it was all about is this going to make me go faster on a bike and when your life becomes about every single tiny decision where you have to constantly have in the back of your mind yes but is this going to help me achieve my goal then it just strips your life of richness I think um not of meaning you've got lots of meaning and purpose and and it's really satisfying to to be in that world that single-minded single-focused world um but I did miss out I sacrificed a lot to to live like that and it was an incredible experience but I think ultimately what I realized was that's not forever that's not sustainable um and it's not very brave I think you know when you've got a hook like racing that just absorbs your whole life and you don't have to think or tussle with anything or you know it's it's just all so single-mindedly pointed in one direction you're you've got your blinkers on it's simple it's easy I mean it's hard physically but it's it's really simple and easy emotionally to just get up every day you've got your training plan you've got your diet you've got you know what you can and you can't do socially you've got your travel all planned out it's, it's pretty straightforward being told what to do <laughs> um but yeah the richness I always felt like the colours were fading a little bit um, and as time went on they faded more. Yeah I suppose that kind of that single focus it for me it comes down to control and it's this kind of I mean I'm not talking from your perspective but maybe from um, my own experience of living with somebody who's at that sort of elite sports person and on that stage it's it comes down to control and so much of just trying to control everything that you can control and 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 there doesn't leave much outside of that and I I guess that's where the maybe not being so brave comes in because that's it's really not letting yourself embrace the unknown absolutely that's really nicely put actually (laughs) yeah I think I think you're absolutely spot on we all crave control we need to feel like we're autonomous beings and if somebody hands you a formula for staying in control then you know that's very that's that's very pleasant you can just follow that little pattern and everything (laughs) feels great but then what happens when you get injured or you get ill or you get older um or you know a whole or people or people that love you need you for something um that then everything gets scattered out of the way, doesn't it? And you're you're left reeling. You know you can't adjust to that. Talk about resilience. It's almost as though it undermines um, basic human resilience to be able to adapt and to flex and grow and um, remain curious and open. That to me is the is the sort of the, the rounded human. And but but maybe I wouldn't have understood that if I hadn't been in that in that position for for so long and focused on on racing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you said that that there was a degree of that being satisfying that sort of training and and being in that mindset of only doing something if it's going to make you faster on a bike. But is it yeah. 
I wondered if it's only satisfying when when you've got success and you're doing well and you can can see the results of that and actually if you have a run of bad results or don't achieve what it is that you want to achieve I can see that that's that could be not satisfying it could be really difficult because you've put yourself worth in those outcomes sure that's really hard isn't it but you still have the training plan and you still have the structure and mm. the focus um, and the boundary in, in which you're living so although the outcomes are kind of hard to get your head around and to stay sort of focused and motivated is hard at least you still have that structure that you can wake up every day and rely upon so yeah it never goes 100% according to plan, does it? Race results, they, they peak and they, and they trough off. But the, the hits that you get when it's going well, oh my goodness, they, they can really sustain you. And even when it's going badly, you can remember how it feels when you're, when you're on that, you know, you're riding that wave. And the longer you do it, the more you know that they come in peaks and troughs. So you can just hang in there in the knowledge that it's most likely going to come back. Um, and every day you get up and you you do it more. And there's little incremental gains that you get, even if you're not performing well. The training, you know, the the, the immediate the immediate results that you get from from a training ride, um, that there's something really lovely in in those as well. Just if you can bring yourself back to the process and be like, okay, my results aren't going that well, but actually I just really love riding my bike or switching up to make it fun or, um. Yeah, there's there's stuff that you can still get from the from the process, and I think that's how I managed to stick at it for for so long. <laughs> it seemed well. I don't want to give too many spoilers in the book, but after the Commonwealth Games, you were like, "I'm done." <laughs> and I just mm. so what was the decision making in that process of giving up something that you'd worked so hard for for so long? Yeah, I was so done by the end of the <laughs> the Commonwealth Games. I actually started to be done. From 2012, so the Commonwealth Games were in 2014, and in 2012, um, I became the the British champion. And and I think on the way up to that becoming British champion, I'd been the underdog, I'd been on the back foot, I'd had something to aim towards. And then when I achieved that title, I thought, well, that's it. I'm now there's nowhere else to go other than <laughs> back down. Take that off. Success has happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh. That's it. There's, yeah. Because I, I was never going to be a world champion, but it kind of felt like everybody in my contemporaries anyway in a national circuit were then gunning for me. And that's a horrible feeling. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm much better at chasing than being chased. Oh, God, it just yeah. feels like ine- you're just waiting for the inevitable to happen. It's so, so I find yeah, it really I stressful it in a race when I was like being yeah. chased. But yeah, Chase. I didn't enjoy it. Uh-huh. No, I know I don't enjoy it either. I think some people do. We're all so different. Mm. I, I, yeah, I hated this idea of having to defend and... Um, yeah, I was, I, I, and everything was. I was getting older, you know. Life was happening, and it just sort of felt like I'd sacrifice enough, and the people around me that loved me had sacrificed enough. Um, I was just ready for a bit of freedom, really. Mm. And I often ask guests because the hard questions of kind of what's resilience and what does that mean to you. But I don't think I've really asked anybody about what success looks like, and that felt like a theme in your book. And so. I think we can all say, well, you achieving these um, titles and 
representing your country at the Commonwealth Games, they look like success, but do they come into your definition of success? They come into a very narrow definition Mm. of success, I think. Um, And I love sport and I love cycling. And there's something so clean and pure and simple about preparing your body to achieve a physical goal. Um, And I got a lot out of it. And it's and it's and it's brilliant. I think that, you know, I I recommend that anybody puts themselves out there on the start line and pushes themselves um, into an unknown. But I think if we take that way of being and we try to transfer that definition of success into society into our everyday lives it just doesn't work people get hurt <laughs> um, people get marginalized inequalities get exacerbated success from a those sorts of polarized winning and losing black and white one person's better than the other sure it works on a track or on a on a mountain bike course but it, it doesn't actually transfer to a healthy fair happy humanity Mm. and I I suppose what I was trying to do in this book was not not say that that racing or sport um is is wrong and that 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 those elements that that way of defining those traditional notions of success are, are wrong but just that they are one way to measure success but when we look at what it is that we value in terms of society if we value a healthy sustainable economy and we want all our kids to be fully educated and we want everyone to have access to green space then we can have one group of people or one person being the winner and taking it all we have to learn to to spread that out um, and to put our individual egos aside and think about the bigger picture and try to win for everybody and so yeah it just got a little bit a little bit old and a little bit niche this this notion of success on a on a mountain bike circuit um and it and i and i found that it was sort of making me competitive and in other ways of my life it just really weren't appropriate um so yeah i think i think keeping it in check keeping that sort of way of winning in check and understanding where elite sport and competition sits in the bigger scheme of things makes the world a happier place yeah I think I think you wrote about this so well in the book and I actually didn't know about your work with youth or young offenders or people like young people that were in danger of being excluded from school and going through difficult times and but I I thought it was like when you were talking about their racing and how this one notion of success and leaves people marginalized and those inequalities exposed like that really I just went to the school system and I think you you showed the similarities there and and as I I worked with children in prison for 14 years and and felt much of the same frustrations that you did that these children were being judged in one way that wasn't serving them at all and then deemed a failure or that they had a problem or that they were the ones so it was really interesting to then how you wove your love of cycling to help these children because I definitely didn't I was kind of at the other end when things had gone completely wrong and they were in prison so what was it that really you saw that was valuable in cycling with these young people Mm. yeah that that 
that project in, in the Highlands of Scotland was one of that they like, talk about richness being stripped out of your life when you're when you're focused on one single thing. The richness that I got from working with these kids in the Highlands really helped level me out. In fact, that project is probably the reason that I was able to keep that balance and keep racing for for so long because it kept everything in perspective. Mm. Um, I think you're absolutely right. We are very quick to judge and to put um, put our Western notions of of uh, success onto young people, and if they're not, if they're if we're not making them into citizens that can fuel our economy and um, give something very tangible back, then that's them failing. And so all of our services, all of our social services are around trying to get those kids like back into school and get them on a on a work pathway so that they can be functioning members of society. But actually if we took each individual um on a on a person by person basis and we sat with them and they worked out what their motivations were and how their brains work and 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 what made them sing, then we're going to be much more likely to turn them into or help them to achieve what's going to make them happy, which which is what we all need. We need that sort of diversity in society. But that's not really the way things are, are set up at, at the moment, are, are they? No. We don't value people that can't contribute back to our economy. Um, and that, that sort of, that's sort of the bottom line. Everything is geared towards making sure that capitalism keeps going round and round. Yes. <laughs> and these kids have had so much to give. Oh my goodness! It's some of that I worked a lot with um, kids um, on the autism spectrum in, in laterally in that project as well, and the way they saw the world, and the way they encouraged me to see the world, uh, was so valuable. You know, the just the 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 different perspective. Um, it's such a shame that we don't value that more. No, no, the opposite. We're trying to quell it down and put them in a box that. They're never going to yeah. particularly fit in or be happy in. Yeah, yeah. Trying to trying to make them mainstream when actually there's no such thing as mainstream. There's a there's a single line, isn't there, that everyone is told they need to aspire to to follow along. But if we just let people be a bit more themselves, yeah. Then and know, and so, what did you see when you were taking them out cycling? Like how. How was cycling making the difference in those lives? Yeah. Um, so to begin with, I worked, I did work mainstream. I was employed by the mm, um, education office as a school counsellor. Yeah. So there was the there was that sort of change between, so there were the same boys that I was working with in these little stuffy one-to-one rooms in high schools um, where I was like trying to do anger management classes with them and try and get them back into classrooms and it just wasn't working like we'd have a nice time in the room but you know that was it was this, your this um, wasn't the agenda, so. when you were talking about that patronizing leaflet about anger management or something and I was like just thinking of these prison oh. courses that they got sent on and it was just like were you yeah, yeah. it's like no this is not just yeah sit and talk to them find out what it is they need rather than giving them more leaflets so yeah you you moved out yeah, of the classroom exactly. didn't you yeah. or the school yeah you need to meet someone where they are mm. but the mountain biking you know I was sitting in that room thinking god I don't want to be here I bet you don't want to be here and then <laughs> I was training really hard at the time I had a bunch of mountain bikes as a qualified uh, leader and so I just pitched it to the education office that I think we could probably make 
um, a difference to these boys if I could take these one-to-one sessions out of the class, out of out of the school um, building. So I would pick them up um, and we would drive somewhere and we'd ride together. And we sometimes wouldn't even talk, you know, it sometimes wasn't even about about that. It was just about being together and having a shared experience and feeling and thinking differently in that space because you naturally do don't you when you engage your body rather than your brain um and your senses um get stimulated then something changes in, in your brain chemistry and so that actually was the therapeutic work in it in itself <laughs> and then if they chose to speak to me about specific things then amazing you know maybe we could problem solve some stuff or we could work some things through but the point was there was an opportunity to try something different in a safe space and they got the opportunity to work with an adult who just accepted them for for who they were um, and we could build that relationship in a mutually trusting supportive way Um, and it was the relationship that became the key and um, and that I think is really all that we can ever hope to achieve (laughs) you know if we can achieve a good relationship with someone then that's a starting point for anything at all let go of all area education's outcomes um you know that that's really not within my control yeah um but but yeah offer offer kids unconditional positive regard and that's your best chance and you know what even if it's if it doesn't work then at least you've had that time you've enjoyed that journey together you've had that process we both got something out of that yeah Yeah. and just thinking of like resilience and you'd already mentioned some words before when we were talking about kind of flexibility and adapting and you just brought in problem solving are these all elements of resilience like what is it for you mm. yeah so now very much so now so I still I still um ride my bike uh quite often long distances sometimes under race conditions but unlike before where my races were an hour and 15 minutes long. Now they're days at a time and you cannot hold on to that same sort of gritty, you know, stay in zone four the whole time and and get this job done. It's much more about adapting on the bike. This is about a, an adventure that you're going on where you know that over a period of four days to three weeks, things are going to go wrong. Your bike's going to break. You're probably going to get sick. Um, you're not going to have enough food, you're, you know, you're not going to get enough sleep. And you, you need to go into that and not, or, or I feel my only way to to enjoy that and to to um, keep entering these these events is to remain flexible and to be up for the challenge of when things go wrong. And so when something does go really badly wrong, it's almost like, right okay here's something to focus on this is something that we can problem solve and we can fix and we can get through whereas before I think I would have just spat the dummy and just like walked off the course but this is it's taught it's taught me a lot about patience and um and not rushing in to finding solutions to things and even if you think that you're in an absolute go slow and that you know you might as well go home quite often if you just keep nudging forward you'll come out the other side and and it'll get good again so I don't know there's something about long distance self-supported endurance type activities that really 
lend themselves to exploring a different type of resilience, like a deeper, truer, more transferable to the real world kind of kind of resistance uh, resilience. Um, because you can't con- sh- shocker spoiler alert you can't control everything <laughs> even, though, <laughs> even though wouldn't that be lovely yeah um, it's taken me 40 years yeah, to work that out <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so annoying isn't it it's so simple good <laughs> I think I it's, so just before that that quote that I said in the intro I think just before that in the book, you'd put a line, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was about um, if we pretend that hard things don't exist and um, we attempt to avoid anything hard, then that's actually the cause of the suffering. And I thought that that was quite profound for me. (laughs) (laughs) I think that came from a, that's a Buddhist teaching, isn't it? Oh, I was, um, I was, pain type. I thought that you'd come up with this philosophy, Lee. Let's take the credit. Oh, afraid <laughs> not. There's some very, very wise people, turns out, have come before me. <laughs> but there is wisdom in taking it on, I like to think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, pain times resistance equals suffering. So there will always be pain, but it's only if you resist it that it becomes sore and difficult. So a bit like, um, I don't know if you've ever done any Tai Chi or martial arts, like jiu-jitsu or anything, where someone will come come at you with a, with a strong fist or a strong arm. And if you meet them with this, the same resistance, a similar strength and resistance, then you'll both break. But if you meet them and you absorb that um, that aggression or that defense or that that forward motion with a defense and you and you flex with that and you allow that to move through you then you can turn it to your advantage and there's something really powerful in that for me about how we can't always go hard and fast and strong and with with one eye on achieving goal with a rod of iron it's almost as though being soft and flexible and malleable um and giving and generous, those things will absorb the aggression and the difficulties and turn what could be very, very painful into something something joyous and, and a different sort of for, forward motion. So much easier to say than it is to do. <laughs> um, but I love how I it is that, like that. that <laughs> I love how I don't know if we're talking just about cycling and endurance events or life now. I, I like how it it blends <laughs> into life lessons because I think I felt like I was doing these really hard events and having a great time and then I couldn't run again and have been facing surgery and going through that. And I think at first I just thought, oh, running was just so futile. It didn't mean anything and it's very privileged and I had a great time, and but that's it. It's just a part of my life that's over. But I really liked how by describing endurance in the way that you did just now and in the book, that it actually made me believe that there was a lot to gain from those long events and and pushing myself. It doesn't really matter about the distance, does it? It's more about just getting myself out of the comfort zone and that could have been 10 miles or it could have been 100 miles. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Or or not any miles at all. Sometimes Mm. the hardest thing is to sit still, isn't it? I think quite often we... You and I, 
and others like us use our sport and our physicality as a bit of a crutch because we know that that's going to make us feel better and it's a quick fix to access those endorphins. But actually, if you can't do that and you have to sit still and you have to employ a different part of your your brain and your coping, it's very, very challenging to do. And that's when I know that I've not got the balance right. If I can't slow down my mind and my breathing and my reactionary systems then I'm not being resilient I'm not I'm not a resilient balanced open being and that has a massive implication in in terms of sporting performance as well yeah it was (laughs) those final conclusions again don't want to spoil it but about how that you could incorporate self-care and pausing and rest those things that you just wouldn't have I wouldn't have put in such a long distance event um I thought was really I've not heard that from an elite athlete before or from an athlete perspective in terms of that we can have those qualities while we're racing it's not just a matter of in the recovery afterwards and it's definitely a a softer sort of resilience isn't it Mm. One thing that I still kind of (laughs) tussle with, like you talked about some of the long distance events, it wasn't a race that you were doing, but how you use this journey that you were going to go on to help really speed up the process of, of, of processing emotions and a difficult time in your life. And Uh, But then I was thinking of some of the long distance events that I've done or people that I coach or people that I know. And I find that these long, for me, there was a lot of avoidance in putting myself through something where I didn't have to focus on the mess that I was leaving at home. And it was almost quite numbing to go and do these events and, and put off dealing with it. And I just wondered kind of where that line came and whether it was something we could choose or if it was something else beyond us, our choice at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're talking about the Silk Road. Yeah, yeah. Chapter, I think, yeah, where I just had separated from my partner and left my entire life and gone to Kyrgyzstan to float about in the wilderness. <laughs> and I thought than... for me, if I was doing that, it would be complete avoidance. And it, it probably... Uh-huh. It wouldn't. I wouldn't take the time to process my emotions. I was just wondering. Well, how did you? How, did you make a conscious effort that you were going to process things, or is that just what happens to you when you're in these places? Yeah, that's a really, really good point because it's not. It's not cut and dried. It's not okay. Well, if I'm going to deal with this difficult situation properly, then I must sit down and meditate and consider and go to counselling and surround myself with with loved ones. Um, or I could just go and smash myself about for three weeks in a foreign country and just numb out completely and not think about it. There's something that exists between those two states. And for me, I'm still not sure that I got it right, actually, going to, to Kyrgyzstan when all of that was, was going on. But when you, in counselling terms, when you're working with somebody that's just gone into crisis, you don't sit down with them and get them to un pick you know in a psychoanalytical way you know their background they're freaking out you know there's so much going on that needs to be dealt with in physical terms first they need to be calmed and soothed and nurtured and just anything that's going to help them pass that time and get to a more stable place 
is of value. And so for me, being in a different place, in a in a wildly different place and in a wild place was there is definitely an element of me taking myself out of the pain and the misery in my head and put myself into physically into this really different environment where I can be distracted from that pain. But it's still there. And 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 the motion that brings that, that regulates all the all the stuff, all those chemical imbalances that are going on in my brain and my body, that that once that has become regulated by this environment, by this motion, this physical motion, then I I can sit and I can pause and yeah, it's still uncomfortable, but there's something that's settled in me that means I can be there with with the dark stuff, and then it becomes too much, and then I move back into that space again, and it's this moving between the soothing and the considering. And it's almost like a hot, cold treatment for swelling. Um, you know, it, it forces recovery. It, that, that's where I think I was trying to get to in Kyrgyzstan. It was extreme, Jen. I don't know if, if I'd recommend anybody <laughs> Oh, I was just that. thinking, oh, a therapist and a sports person. It's, it's a potent mix. And <laughs> but now you're saying, uh, yeah, oh, I might not recommend this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It was one extreme to the other for sure. But. I think that formula that I just described, you, you don't need to go to a far-flung country in order to to put yourself in, in such an extreme environment. Well, I guess that extreme works, environment works. might not be soothing for a lot of people, so it would just heighten that no, stress that, and crisis. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're all different, aren't we? <laughs> I was actually yeah. quite, I think it might, oh, I don't think it was that chapter, but at one point you did mention that you had been scared and lonely and had a crisis of confidence when you've been out alone and in these sort of places. And I thought that was quite valuable to hear because I have certainly, like, I've not always felt super confident and happy and at one and in that flow state when I've been out in some pretty wild Mm. places. And I think that perhaps on social media or with hindsight when we're reading blogs and books and things that we can paint this very soothing healing picture of nature and I thought that it was quite valuable that mm. although you obviously you've just said it was a real soothing time to go to those wild places but it's not always positive or no no absolutely yeah I really I um I feel exactly the same way sometimes as as you feel. And actually, when I think about it, it's almost at the start of every trip that I go on, like every every multi-day trip that I'll go on, the first night is always a bit like, oh, how do I do this again? This doesn't feel quite right. I'm not quite sure when I'm going to sleep. Oh, have I got enough food? Um, what's the weather doing? What's my escape route? And then, but it, but it's that kind of level of, being unsure and feeling a bit insecure and actually feeling downright miserable sometimes so that sets your that sets your benchmark doesn't it and then you keep going and it gets easier and easier and easier and by the end of like a four or five day trip those that that discomfort you can look back on yourself on night one and be like oh, that was silly wasn't it Lee? <laughs> but it'll happen again the next time it'll happen again the next time and I'm sort of you could be grateful that happens again in the next time because what if your benchmark was always like, oh, this is easy. There's no, there's no difficulty in doing this at all. And why would you, why would you keep going? 
you know, if you've already got it all dialed and nailed, then where's the where's the exploration or the adventure? Yeah, um, where does the growth come from? And and the getting to know yourself as well. And yeah, th- like on those uncomfortable times, I mean, again, I'm very conscious that when I've been in them, I've generally chosen to be out there. You you've chosen to go and enter that race or do that adventure. And do you think it translates that when we're then faced with things in life that we feel uncomfortable with, that we haven't chosen or that we feel are difficult, are are there things that we can draw on from being in those places? Or is that not so simple and going back to controlling (laughs) how we react to things? Uh, I mean, I think with every day that passes you you learn something more or you consolidate a bit of of learning don't you but it it is always for me anyway it's always this jumping between these two different these two different ways of of being you know sometimes it's okay to feel like a complete control freak and need all of that control and hang on to it so so tightly because that's what's getting you through a really difficult time it, the problem only comes is if you stay in that sort of chronic level of high stress and you never have a moment to take your foot off the gas and consider a different way. If you keep all of your feelings at bay and you keep them at arm's length because you just don't have any, you don't put any time into your life to think about stuff, that, that's when it becomes difficult and you don't grow. You know, I think I think you could keep things at arm's length and, and not grow and not learn. But it's absolutely all right to to also numb out and just be like, I can't handle this right now. I am just going to do this thing and I'm going to forget about it for a while. Um, because that's still you're still moving forward. That's still a pathway. Um, and then it's what happens next that that is interesting. Because once you've had that experience, you might be more susceptible to, to sitting still for a moment. Yeah. How long am I allowed to numb out for? Years or are we just talking like one, <laughs> one ride? Well, you've, had four, you've had fourteen years. You said, <laughs> "Is that right?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so interesting, isn't it? Um, how long am I allowed to know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, There's permission. no right or wrong answer to that, Jen. <laughs> I, um... I think ultimately the biggest problem is when we give ourselves a hard time for anything that we do oh, but I do okay. I feel the pressure that I do I'm supposed to be constantly growing and pushing and being out of my comfort zone and doing new things and uh, and that's exhausting and and too much and I suppose it goes back I like that idea of that hot and cold that out a little bit then go back soothing out a little bit and and mm. so yeah that feels a little bit more manageable than this constant growth and improvement that I need to be showing yeah and uh, does this constant growth and improvement, I'm just thinking back to earlier in our conversation where I was trying to make these um, make these parallels with the society that doesn't accept just being, mm. that we always have to be growing and improving and striving and achieving. Um, but, you know, that, that's just that, that's just one way of being. There's plenty of there's plenty of other ways of, of being. Um, and I guess if we're sat just being, then we're not buying anything, and it clings back to that <laughs> <laughs> capitalism that you talk Beautifully about. Put. <laughs> That's a perfect summary point to that. Yep, exactly. So it's not really in um, in society's interest to let us just be. 
How about? You want us to always strive. And... Yeah, and it feels like you've got so much out of your cycling and being outside. And I just wondered how you've coped when you've had those injuries. Um, there was, I think, mm. a couple that you mentioned in the book that were quite serious. I didn't know how long you were unable to ride for or get out as much for. Yeah, there's a yeah, there was a lot of injuries. Mountain biking is one of those sports, I think. Um, yeah, I don't. My, I've lost my teeth through cycling and. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> yes, I've got lots of false teeth falling out on run stories as well. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. I've, I've got never, a bridge at the moment. Any teeth. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah. But that how have, pretty full on. <laughs> how have <laughs> yeah. you coped with injuries? Oh, to varying degrees. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just get my pen and make some notes because <laughs> me too. Yeah. Oh my goodness! There's nothing harder, is there, when you're when you're on a trajectory and then something out with your control just comes in and whisks your legs out from underneath you. And you're like literally in times, quite literally sometimes <laughs> over the handlebars, no legs left. So so difficult to make that adjustment, and the grief, you know, the loss mm. feels a little bit insensitive to talk about grief and and loss in those terms when there are people out there grieving and having lost so much more than that we just have our immediate health but it's so difficult you know when you're so single-mindedly focused on that one thing um, and you've worked so hard for it and then suddenly it's all taken away um but an interesting thing happened um I've had a few pretty bad injuries and I remember one in particular on the run up to the Commonwealth Games, I, I I landed a jump badly in a race. I, like I landed on my back and pushed my sternum and my front two ribs out out of place. So I like, dislocated my my sternum and my ribs, and I lay there on the ground in utter agony while paramedics were sort of all around me putting on the spinal board and stuff. And I remember the feeling of like pain and loss and sadness and uncertainty but niggling also in there which is really surprising was a little bit of relief because I'd been on a conveyor belt and I couldn't see a way off I was racing every weekend I was you know dodging illness I was sacrificing so much it was intense and it was so so full-on and then suddenly just like that it come to an end and I and that happened more than once not an injury as bad as that but I would get to a point in a racing season where I was just like on my knees, unable to sustain it, but also unable to say, actually, no, I need a bit of time. I need to I need to cancel that race. I need to take some time out. And inevitably, some, maybe somewhere in my subconscious, I forced a crash or I got ill or something else happened and I had to step back. I was forced to let go of control. And then um, that it was it was difficult. But that re- that re- relief that was in there, uh, it was also really interesting when I started to acknowledge that it was a shame that I maybe wasn't a little bit more enlightened, that I couldn't have taken the time before that happened to enforce my own rest, that I needed rest enforced upon me. Um, but, but it helped when I got injured after I'd realised that that was maybe part of what was going on. It helped be like, right, okay, I'm injured. This is an opportunity to work on all the little bits that you shove away 
while you're focused on a physiological goal. So there's so much more to to racing at any level or to performing at any level than just your your physical um, your physical fitness. And, um, and so I would spend that time like really giving back to family members and do breathing exercises and stretching. I was really crap at stretching and you know just just working out a way that was almost like a little nurture package for the bits that I neglected when I was so hell bent on race focus. Mm. Still really hard. Still really really hard when you know everyone's off racing every weekend. But um, yeah, focusing on the on the positives of that and thinking was, about was that that kind of training that you were doing at the time. With hindsight now, would you have changed that? Do you think you could have achieved what you achieved without those sacrifices? Is it an old-fashioned approach that coaches were giving you or what would you do differently? Great question. Yeah, I would do it completely differently now. No, I didn't need to be as as focused and one-dimensional and I probably didn't even need to actually make the physical efforts that I did, I never missed a training session. And now uh, I just, I see the value in being able to be like, actually the the emotional gains that I'll get for skip, from skipping that and just taking care of myself and having a beer and a laugh, you know, these, these things, uh, you know, if we're still talking about performance gains, there's performance gains. You heard it here in drinking beer <laughs> with your friends you know the, the, you know there really is just that sort of taking your foot off the gas mm. and letting go for a moment um and sure knowing when to get back on it is is a is a real skill um I, I used to ride with with people who were one or or the other you know they really knew how to let go and to party but then they couldn't get back on it um and and I was the other way you know I was just like I cannot let go of this because actually because maybe I wouldn't have got back on it so um the the real skill um I noticed in other athletes was that the people that could find the balance in the middle and they were usually the more experienced ones the older athletes who had that nailed Mm, had that hindsight as well maybe and yeah maybe yeah I think I'm the time away from running I thought that it would mean that I wouldn't be such a good coach but actually I feel like in terms of running it's made me a lot more holistic and given me a lot more perspective than when I was in that training bubble of the only thing matters is this race and how I perform and what's everybody else doing and and it really loses the joy for so many people being in that space as well and I think also now like the research is that you do perform better when you're relaxed and have different types of chemicals through you than the stress hormones that racing would um all that pressure that we have can put on you yeah but you're right that when you mentioned is that is that an old sort of historical outdated way of of coaching that you know you get on it and you stay on it and you push hard Mm. um and you don't ever let a crack show I, i think i think you're right i think that it's nice to hear that there's new research coming out and that you are, you know, the new wave of coaches that is embracing a different way of, of, of being. I think um, I'm, I've not been coached for a long time, but I 
hope that if I ever wear that, it would be someone like you and not to do down any of the coaching that I received. <laughs> I, I, I some of it I read and I was like, oh my God, I don't think she's, she's coachable. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you were just enlightened. But I, I think it's also maybe, you know, that coaching framework was maybe more for males or the research was usually for males and maybe we are seeing different ways yeah. and different ways that people can it's still the, still the case isn't it Jen mm. it's, it's, it's still the case I remember um, uh, Phil Dixon the British cycling coach coming into my hotel room at a world championship event and I just got sick and I couldn't race the next day and I was absolutely gutted and he came into my room and he was like the um don't worry about it like you're two-thirds of the way through the season um women can't race in the same way as as men like all the boys have got they've got testosterone they've got little testosterone factories that can just keep them on that high um and this is not a, a male-female divide by any means. Everyone's hormone levels are different. But because we don't have that way of keeping on regenerating testosterone in the same way, women tend to plateau more in a you know in a nine-month race season. It's so hard to race every weekend and recover and race and recover and race and recover. Um, I would run out of fight. I would just feel like all the fight go out of me and I would get sick or I'd get injured. And Phil explained to me that, although it was really early on in the research of that, um, women in general tend to go through a different cycle and they and they can't be up for every single race every weekend um, and I just hope that that research is continued or is continuing because I hope it comes through into like office so life and our whole life that we <laughs> it's all based on males <laughs> yeah yeah what a shame <laughs> So I found that the book, like we had the racing and this outcome, and then we've talked about you more going into the adventure side of it and racing for days and going through these whole journeys. And I think, but you were still having success in those times. And Well, what is success? Jen? Well, in the narrow definition of success that we've had earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you were still okay that's what we're sticking to <laughs> records and winning things that sort of success and I just and then it seemed to come to a balance I, I felt that you could do both but I wasn't sure how you get to both were you still training in quite a rigid way and focusing putting efforts into those long races or were were they just cropping up and you were running out cycling anyway and and not really focusing on the training yeah exactly exactly the latter oh okay so yeah I wasn't I wasn't doing any sort of structured training when I set the record on the island trail um I'd been riding like I always ride my bike or I go in the hills and um and I was strong and I was injury free and I was in a really good headspace and the weather was good and so all those things sort of came together, but I still didn't know. And I almost arrived on the start line of that race feeling really energised because I hadn't hemorrhaged a lot of energy already worrying about what the outcome might be. Um, and and then I just, because I started relaxed, I guess I found my flow. I was so energised, like the whole time. It was like some sort of out-of-body experience much of the time, not like anything I'd ever experienced actually um, in any of the other races that that I'd done, there was something just really loose and easy 
I found myself like laughing out loud on on the trail, and there was something. There was a different approach um, to the start of that race, and then while I was in it, because in a race that's like four days long, you can't be constantly looking at your heart rate or worried about not going fast enough. It just is what it is, and yeah, I'm on, I'm going really slow through this section, but look, there's a stag, <laughs> and it and it just keeps you keeps you interested and keeps you. Um, moving forward in a in a different way and it seems that the energy that you have goes to the places that need it rather than you stressing out about not going fast enough or not being good enough or where you are in relation to other people because you don't know that stuff you, you they're, they're not all around you and you don't you're not checking your phone to to see where other people are it's just about how you feel and how your body's behaving and where and what you're seeing on the horizon um, and so the process becomes actually pretty enjoyable that's really interesting and I guess the other thing is is that I think you put in one in the book at one point about how how many adventures were discarded because people didn't feel ready or something but I'm I suppose that kind of going into it with that being in that relaxed state that curiosity I think I would probably think am I ready for this because I'm not I haven't done all that training and I haven't done all that structured thing and I haven't put this I don't really worry too much about the outcome and and so yeah I suppose it's it feels like it's taking a leap of faith into just seeing what happens and and I guess that's going back to those motivations and those definitions of success and and why we're doing these long things Mm. or challenges like, yeah. did you, so you didn't feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm going to set a record on that day. No, oh God, no, <laughs> absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a real. It was a real leap of leap of faith. Mm. But and and that that was it. I went into it without any expectations of of myself. And then it was only while I was out there, and I was like, oh wow, this is actually going really well. But still, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't matter what comes of it. There's no one really watching. Not really. You know, there's a handful of people watching these places, but it's not like you're on the telly representing your country. You're just out in the mountains that you know and you love, and you're just having a ball. Um, so, yeah, a, a different, a different way to reframe success again. I guess if I wasn't focused on the outcome. I mean, I did get focused on the outcome towards the end. <laughs> I was, I was, I was definitely like, oh, I can oh, okay. get in an under four days. Right, I'm going to stay up all night. <laughs> the old, so, yeah, the old Lee like came I back. <laughs> Absolutely, the old Lee is always there, Jen. <laughs> She's always right there, and I dip, and I dip in and out of that way of thinking all the time. It's never one thing or the other with me. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was expecting that. You know, imagining this. 100% zen like oh. <laughs> approach wow. the whole time <laughs> that makes me feel better no no it makes me feel better that we can and I suppose it comes back to that well where does the racing fit in but you were saying at the start there's still a place for it because I often find that you know people get into sport love it and then maybe start doing these races and then suddenly they the position and the race results become important and you lose that joy somewhere. Yeah. And it's, I've seen people take a step back from racing people that I've coached just because they, they felt like they'd lost the joy somewhere along the way. But I felt 
like you're saying, that we can have a balance. There can be both things there. Yeah. And I think there is something about putting yourself on a start line with surrounded by a bunch of other people that takes you into a bit of a different space. Um, so I, I sometimes I feel the same as as your as your clients where I was just like I need to back off from racing I just need to go for a ride on my own no you know agenda no outcome um, but then there's something that I really appreciate and enjoy about being in a start line with people where we're all like it gunning gunning for the same outcome there's that sense of sort of community and camaraderie especially in the multi day events where we're we're all in this together, like a bit of blitz spirit. And you can't conjure that up on your, on your own, really. You need other people around you to be part of a community of people all doing this thing together. And it's not about beating those other people then. I think that's the difference. This is about taking this journey all together. And some of you will be faster than others, but um, that community of people that do these bikepacking races, if they're so special, um you know, they're all just up for it and they don't hang on to, that's not fair to say. There are some, like anything, I suppose, where it's become monetized in a way that it hadn't a few years ago when I first started doing it. And with money and sponsorship and prize money, that it changes things. But the grassroots, the grassroots events where, you know, the Highland Trail is a perfect example. You give a donation of 40 quid to the John Muir Trust and you get on and there's no finish, there's no... <laughs> prizes for a finisher <laughs> that's that sort of racing there's there's something really special about that I think yeah and actually on an earlier episode Beth Pascal was on because talking about her injury from running and how she couldn't run but she had been doing some bike packing and she said the same that there was so much less focus on the results and more on that camaraderie and and just you're all in it together yeah it's pretty special you know, when you've all slept in the same ditch and you've all run out of food at the same point and <laughs> the weather's all crapped out, all you can do is laugh. And if you can find somebody to laugh at the at the desperateness and the excitement of the situation, then then it, it makes it uh, doubly worthwhile, I think. Uh, it's another metaphor for life. I'm taking them all out of context of the cycling and just having these as wisdom for... <laughs> surviving life oh wow (laughs) (laughs) you've restored my faith in endurance events that it's not all just egos racing towards the end oh there is plenty of that too though isn't there it's just it's all a balance Uh, so how's the book the book's out like how did that feel we've already said it took a while for you to write it but there's some real personal vulnerabilities and just personal life points in there and I just wondered how that was putting something out Mm. well it's so new that I've just got this sort of vague kind of feeling of trepidation just (laughs) hanging over like I've not had tons of you're one of the first people I've spoken to that's actually read it so (laughs) yeah nice to hear your your feedback and your thoughts on it Jen um, it's fantastic, and I think the more that that happens, the more the the more I'll I'll relax a little bit because it is personal. There's some really mm. personal stuff in there um, that does feel a little bit uncomfortable putting out into the world. But I think we just we just talked before about how important it is to give a bit of yourself if you're asking people to to um, 
listen to you, then mm. you really have to have something to say that you hope will connect with him emotionally. And it would have felt a bit disingenuous, I think, to have not put that personal stuff in there. So it's it's with a degree of trepidation. <laughs> Is it like the first but night also, uh, on your multi-stage? <laughs> what am I yes. doing? <laughs> Excellent. Excellent analogy. That is what it is. I'm on the first night of the multi-stage. Oh, can I do this? And then hopefully, come night three and four, I'll be delighted that I've done it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm delighted that you've done it. And, and also, it's just connected with so much that you were talking about, but also I feel like it's giving me the confidence to put more out there that that the narrative isn't just about the successes and what you've achieved although there's they're in there it's about the other other ways to win <laughs> wow you have nailed it would you like to be my um, <laughs> my publicist <Jane>? yes <laughs> as we've just discussed we don't have any other jobs going on <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> when your book comes out I'll be yours <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it's really important to talk about the things that when things have been difficult and when things haven't gone right I think there's so much value in that maybe more than the mm. when everything went perfectly and you didn't learn anything <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah and those stories they're um, been interesting and they can be engaging and fun but I think that's sort of where that ends mm. and then and it also doesn't need to be all adversity I think it just needs to be truthful um, and authentic and so if you're feeling crap then you should say that you're feeling crap um, equally if you're feeling absolutely amazing on top of the world life is 100% nothing can go wrong share that too but it's just about the authenticity that I think is is where you connect with with people isn't it yeah yeah and then you get that idea that there's going to be good times, bad times, and just rolling with the, through the bad times and in the faith that yeah. good times will come. So, yeah, congratulations on the book. And can't wait to see it out there in more hands. I think I got one of the first copies. So, thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you, you did. And what else is coming <laughs> up? The time to read it. Oh, no, that's all right. Well, I was just saying that I, I did feel bad at how, knowing how long it took you to write it and then I could read it in a few hours but it was oh. <laughs> I'm a fast reader <laughs> that's absolutely fine I, I as I said before I'm so delighted that that you can read it that way that people can read it that quickly that's that's the point like it shouldn't be yours to labor over this is, a, this is supposed to be my <laughs> I just sometimes my offering. <laughs> feel that it doesn't it doesn't reflect the kind of the work that's gone in and also like how oh. much of yourself that you put in and then I feel like in some ways that grounds me that it can somebody can read it and then just move on <laughs> taking what they need from it but mm. um yeah. yeah that is that is ideal that's probably some of the best feedback that I'll that I'll get that that gives me that gives me faith oh okay I feel like I was <laughs> offended that I could read it in a few hours but <laughs> <laughs> not at all not at all so what else is what's next is yes that, what's next you? are you going to be still cycling still <laughs> writing loads more books <laughs> oh well I thought maybe I should put a bit of effort into getting this one out into the world <laughs> so that's that's what's next uh, yeah I'll I'll do a little bit of a tour probably on a bike and um, taking my book some places oh that would be fun <laughs> yeah 
think so. I mean, it would be silly to launch it any other way, really, wouldn't it? Yes, you can't be driving actually, around in a limousine. No, <laughs> oh, goodness me. Can you imagine? Cargo <laughs> bike, maybe. <laughs> and then with um, the, we haven't really had time to talk about the Adventure Syndicate as well, but is what else is coming up there? And Yeah, so actually, because I'm giving up this job as um, a ambassador for active travel in mid-September, It'll all be about the book and about just keeping the Adventure Syndicate afloat. So the Adventure Syndicate are a, a collective of female endurance cyclists who organise other gatherings and tell stories to to encourage other folk to, to do the same. And we've got a couple of events coming up. We're running a coast-to-coast -coast from Inverness to Rattigan Hostels. We work in partnership with Hostling Scotland to make these events accessible and affordable and just fun. Like there's... It's not a race. No stopwatches. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to race it, you can, but um, you'll miss out on all the fun if you do. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, what else? There's a there's a fun grassroots event coming to Scotland that normally happens in the Pyrenees further. Um, that's happening at the end of October, and that'll be the only race, other than the occasional fell race, that I'll do this year. Which actually feels quite nice, um, just to have sort of one and one that I'm not actually particularly focused on, um, but just to go and be part of that community and part of that that banter and just surround myself with my dirtbag people again <laughs> feels like a nice thing to do for a few days at the end of October. Yeah, I do miss that with the the races. Um, yeah, do you? Yes, I do, and I feel quite envious of the people that can do it so it's not easy to be around races but i will be supporting my husband at one in september oh uh, thank you yeah. for, for all brave. your <laughs> i don't feel like i have a choice <laughs> no no i have been i have managed to go to races i force myself like i do help at them but it's it's bittersweet i'd say it's nice seeing old friends but yeah. it's hard when um when i can't race yeah. well good luck with that well, thank you. And thank you for your inspiration, because I do feel like I don't need to be doing races to challenge myself. And your book was really inspiring at just getting out and appreciating what it is about those wild places and being out in nature that we get so much from. So thank you for writing about that so well and talking oh, about it. Thank you. Thank you for drawing all of that out of me, Jen. You're very, very good at what you do. Oh, really appreciate I'm just really, really interested. And so it's so nice to have a book that that talks about these things and, and goes behind the successes, which we now know is a very narrow def definition of success. Tiny. <laughs> Tiny. Plenty of others. Plenty of others. She's a different one. <laughs> well, thank you for being wildly successful, Lee, in everything that you do. <laughs> and thank you for talking all about resilience. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast. <laughs>